wasn't the sweetest sounding thing, but there's something about what grandma was saying that moved your feet and stirred something up inside. To see her grin from ear to ear, one thing for sure was very clear. This wasn't just a song, it was her life in the sweet by and by. We shall Times have changed to say the least. My grandmama's voice, a memory. Just like the old song says, she's on that shore. And if she's looking down on me, I hope she's proud of what she sees. Cause thanks to her, I'm a walking with the Lord. Oh, to hear her once again, wrap herself around that hill. Lord, if I could. Just go back once more in the sweet by and by. We shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by. We shall meet on that beautiful shore. shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful sweet by and by we shall Pass me not, O oh gentle Savior. Here 
Good morning. We come in this morning seeking God, longing for him, just like David did in Psalm 63, where he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips, our lips today will glorify you. We will praise you as long as we live. And in your name, we will lift up our hands. Our souls will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. And with singing lips, our mouths will praise you, O Lord. Let's stand and let's praise the Lord with song today. Well, good morning, everyone. We have a new song we're going to teach you this morning. It's a declaration after Easter. It's a good one. So a couple things I wanted to teach you is, first of all, what I want you guys to focus on this morning is just one line that says, I'm so glad you changed me. And it just goes like this. I'm so glad you changed me. It's real simple. And then the next part that I want you to catch this week is, I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. Did you get that? Doc's laughing in the drum cage. I hear him in my ears. So let me say it one more time. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. And that's exactly who we are. So we're going to begin our worship time this morning.
tell you let's let's pray and just welcome him in here this morning Lord Jesus I am so grateful for your presence here Lord you've been here all morning and you've been walking around and just knowing who was going to sit in each chair you know where their life is at you know what their worries are what their concerns are you know their joys and their sorrows and your spirit is just, just sitting there with them, holding them. And I'm so grateful that you're so personal. I'm so grateful that you're honest. And I'm so grateful that we belong to you. So, Lord, as we continue through this morning of worship, I pray, Jesus, that you will continue to move, that our hearts will be open to you, Lord Jesus, that you can come in and fill us with what you need to fill us and teach us. And Lord, I just pray that, that we will receive you and we will give back to you, Jesus, with our whole hearts. That that's what you're after, is our whole hearts. And I pray, Lord, that we will just surrender to you. I pray to more, that this morning will be a time of surrender. And Lord, we just thank you for the cross. We're a couple weeks out of Easter. And Lord, it is still fresh in our minds. I pray it won't become dull. I pray, Jesus, that the cross will still be in the front of our, of our minds, Jesus, that we will remember what you've done and that we will just smile with no reason because we know what you've done. So we thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for each person here. And Lord, I pray that you'll continue to be pleased with our offering of worship and praise time spent with you this morning. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for all you're going to do this morning, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Would you turn and greet one another this morning? Welcome them into the house of the Lord today.
Good to be together. Let's have those lights up, please. And I've got a few bits of news. The life and ministry of our church outside of Sunday morning. What color are those bulletins this morning? Blue. If you didn't get one of those blue bulletins, raise a hand. Our ushers will come around and give you one. And out of those blue bulletins, there are a white connection card. Remember what I told you last week? We're going to highlight somebody behind a connection card. See if you can guess who this is. Got that slide there, Brother Scott? Maybe, oh, who is that? They can't see it? Huh. It's Panasonic. Let's count down. Oh, there it is. Who is that guy? Joel Garcia. Happens to be the son of the guy that's going to preach this morning. Looking forward for a message from uh, Jerry Garcia today. So, anyway. Connection cards, if you've got any updated information, anything you want to communicate to us, uh, put that on there, put it in the offering plate when it comes around, prayer request on the flip side, and uh, stay in touch with us via that connection card. Jim Rumsey got back yesterday from Serbia. Let's welcome him. Jerry, if uh, Jim Rumsey falls asleep during your message, cut him some slack. He got in about, I don't know, 7 or 8 a.m., Serbia time, 10 or 11 o'clock his time, but look forward to hearing from him soon, and uh, sounds like everything went well, and good to have him back with us. We prayed for you every day, Jim. Thanks for your service there. Also yesterday, the women had a nice fellowship just down the hall, got a couple of pictures there. It looks like they did some good eating, had some good time. Barbara Fritz and Bernie always do a great job at decorating. One more slide with a few of our ladies there, I think. Upper right-hand side there, I would come to a women's fellowship to eat that. That looks really good. So thanks to uh, those that provided that. And just in case you drove in today and didn't see the new uh, Woodland Park Church of the Nazarene sign at the corner, here it is. Doesn't that look good? And appreciate Lisa Hokeman for her work on getting that done. Took us a while, but uh, it's in place. Just in time, I think. Still three journals on that back table in front of the sound booth if you want to be a part of the USA-Canada prayer emphasis that started on Easter, runs through Pentecost, May 28th, and you can catch up. And uh, we want to join millions of Nazarenes across uh, this region especially, praying for our church. As we come up on a general assembly year this summer, uh, we will meet together as a global church from countries all around the world. That happens every four years. Uh, what a time to be praying. Uh, we need to be doing that. Amen. And Wednesday night, right in this space, Lori leads a prayer time. Would love for you to come out. Bring your journals if you have those. And uh, let's be praying together. Next weekend, big weekend for you guys. Your pastoral candidate is going to be here. There's some reminders in terms of uh, dates and times. In your bulletin this morning, and it was there last week, is a blank pink cardstock piece of paper. Take that out right now. I want you to see it. I want you to hold it. And that is for you to ask any question that you would like uh, the candidate to be asked next Sunday. And if you write that question down, put it in the offering plate or put it in the offering box in the lobby before you leave, uh, we'll see that that question is asked of our candidate. 
next weekend. Uh, what else did I want to say for sure? Uh, May 7 is the vote on that candidate. That will be a week from uh, when he's here uh, to meet you guys. And that will be in a church meeting following the service. Details are in the bulletin. And I hope all of you got that letter, not only with details about the candidate weekend, but also the operational budget for the coming church year, which begins May 1. If for some reason you didn't get one of those letters, there's extras on that table in front of the sound booth. You can pick one up as you leave today. We've got some grandkids to show you. These are the Sundermeyer grandkids. Now there's a picture. Look at that. I think the occasion was their 50th wedding anniversary. And uh, one of those kids, maybe the one youngest boy in the front is not a grandkid. What is he again? Godson. Uh, but we'll count them because that makes it even. Five boys and five girls. That's a great shot. I saved that shot uh, for them because I've got one more announcement. We believe in kids around here, amen? Uh, we have a great kids ministry. We pray for our kids and grandkids, all of us. Uh, Tracy Summerall has done a great job in that children's ministry director position for the past year, and we appreciate that. She has decided at end of May she's going to slide out of that position to pursue some other uh, interest in her life. And we're sad about that. So she's got five or six more weeks in that position. The good news is she and her family aren't going anywhere. And she's going to continue to be involved. And even better, she's done a, such a great job this past year that we're not going to miss a beat in children's ministry around here. We've got a great Sunday morning team. She and Sharon and Kelly have already put together a team to plan and lead our vacation Bible school in June. Uh, we're planning through the end of the summer and we'll begin planning for the fall. Uh, she's put together a great team. I remember her uh, saying along the way, well, I don't know that my gift is organization and stuff like that, but she's done a bang up job and we're far better off today than we were a year ago. And I think we ought to applaud her this morning and thank her for the good ministry she's had with us. Uh, when we get closer to the end of May, uh, we'll thank her again and uh, perhaps something, have something a little bit for her. But we really do appreciate you, Tracy. I think that's it for uh, news uh, this morning. Check out everything else that's in that blue bulletin. I'm going to have our kids, speaking of kids, all stand. Now watch this parade of kids going out of here this morning. That is a great bunch. And you guys can follow Miss Tracy out that side door and up the hallway and enjoy a great kids' church time together. Love our kids, amen? I want to read before we uh, receive our morning tithes and offerings a passage from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, at verse 24. I'm thinking this will connect decently with a message we're going to hear from Jerry this morning. And it also contains that phrase that is something of a, a theme for us in this Easter season. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you to you the word of God in its fullness 
the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints, that's you and me. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Think of it. And that uh, matter of Paul continuing to share in the sufferings of Christ may be what connects to Jerry's message today. Look forward to hearing that. I'm going to invite our ushers to come. I'd like to pray before we receive uh, our offering. Father, thank you for all your gifts, all the ways you've provided. And Lord, uh, this morning, especially again, just for the gift of life. In you, we live and move and have our being. Thank you for allowing us to wake up today. We give to you from hearts that are grateful. God, stir in us a generous spirit. And Father, uh, use what we give to advance your kingdom, to support this ministry. And to honor your name, I pray. All that in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, that was really good. I could even hear you with my ears in. <laughs> that was great. Hallelujah, Lord. We love you, Jesus.
some dear ones send me a group text that had a beautiful video. I'm going to get emotional. Stop it. So, <laughs> of Jesus hugging people. And it had all these different hugs. So there was a normal hug. There was a fancy one where you kissed on each side of the cheek. There was one that was a bombarded hug where they ran up and leaped into Jesus' arms. There was one that we would immediately cry, and that was when Mary Magdalene hugged him because she realized the grace that she received from him. Then there was the aggressive hug when the disciples saw Jesus and they just bowl him over. And then there was one that, the immediate hug that starts the babbling of someone that was excited at what he did when they showed the woman at the well from the chosen. And if you remember that, how precious that was. The one that can't believe their eyes and that needs to be hugged so that they can finally believe that he is Jesus. And that was Nicodemus. And then there was the one that was waiting their whole life just to hug him. Is that anybody in here? I'm waiting. And then there's the one that stares in complete amazement. And they just stand there. And he takes the first step forward to it was beautiful to think of that. And we all get a different hug just in how we're waiting for him to receive him. So I just want you to think of that as we sing our last song in worship this morning. Of what that moment will be like for you and for the people that we're praying for to accept him as their personal Savior. And the ones that we're waiting for to recognize that he is Jesus.
Father, for being there when we begin to sing, too. Grateful for your presence. Grateful for your power. Help us to live in that. Strengthen our faith. and Stir us even today, oh God. Thank you for your love and grace and mercy. Father, we thank you for bringing Jim back to us. Thank you for the good ministry of that uh, mission team for their protection. We give you thanks for that today. God, I thank you for Caitlin and Nick who will marry this week. I pray your blessing on them. Pray that you give them good weather, just enough snow to make it pretty. <laughs> and bless all their years together as they walk together with you. I thank you for Lacey and little baby Emma, soon to be born. I pray your blessing on them. Protect their lives as they come to that delivery date. And bless their lives with years and years to come. God, we lift up Diane Allen this morning. Been in the hospital, facing some new challenges. Hasn't been eating much. God, I pray for her today. We pray together in Jesus' name for her healing, for your sustaining grace again, for the wisdom that uh, the doctors that are treating her need. And I pray for Gary too, God. I thank you for his faithfulness to her, and I pray that you'd surround them right now with your presence. Encourage their hearts, oh God. We pray for this candidate weekend coming up. Pray for safe travels for that couple as they fly in. And Lord, I pray that there would be such clarity that weekend that it would be, uh, it would just be clear what your will is. I pray that you'd bless his preaching, the fellowship that will happen, the time that this church and those good folks have together. God, we pray for your leadership and guidance there. And now, oh God, I pray for Jerry as he comes. Anoint him with your spirit. Give him a calm and a peace as he preaches your word today. What a privilege. And God, the responsibility is just as great on us to hear it and to receive it and to do something with it. Uh, may that be so for all of us today. Give us ears to hear your word. Thank you, Father, for all you've done for us. We uh, pray all these things with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.
It's a little different being up here again after being out of the pulpit for a few years, but after 45 years, uh, I just love getting up here. After I get up here, I'm scared to death first. <laughs> and I want to thank Ben and Doc and I believe Kyle. They came out to the camp and helped us out this week. It seems like I felt like a bivocational pastor again, put in 60-some hours this week, and I had to then get, get up here again. So, <laughs> okay. If you turn with me in your scripture, I want to turn to the book of Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 17. Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 17. But Miletus Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole life I was with you, and from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plot of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have decided, I have declared to you both Jew and Greek that they must turn to God and repent and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I considered my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. In the scripture that we've read here, I want you to see how Paul sort of had an idea that he didn't have to survive. In verse 23, he said, I know prison and hardships are facing me. In verse 24, he said, I consider my life as nothing. In verse 25, he said, I know none of you will ever see me again. Talk about survival. The most natural thing that we do, the most physical thing in our life is we want to survive. Whether gasping for air or trying to survive spiritual and make people, you know, try to make ourselves look better than we really are to people. We're constantly trying to save ourselves. I want to share with you today not something I felt like I have arrived yet at, yet I'm still going through the process. I want us to look at the life of Jesus and Paul and see them that they didn't have to survive in what they were doing. I have to remind myself daily that I don't have to survive either. And the things that we do at camp, there's a lot of menial tasks that you don't like to do, but... Every time Kelly calls, it seems like I'm cleaning toilets at the camp or something. But, but I don't have to survive. I just want to do whatever I can, wherever I can, what, in any place. The battle in life, we're tempted to think that we've got to make it on our own. 
In the early days of the Apollo spaceship program, there was a conflict between the scientists and the engineers. The scientists wanted to make, so take all the room inside the spaceship for scientific experiments to gain maximum knowledge of outer space. But the engineers said, no, we can't do that. We've got to consider the safety of the astronauts. We got, there's malfunctions. We have to have backup units and everything else. And there's a real conflict between the scientists and the engineers. And so they would go to the astronauts who were risking their lives in the thing. They'd ask them, what do you think? And so the astronauts, they voted on safety because they wanted to get home. And you know, they're not the only ones who vote for safety. I believe that's probably one of the number one problems that Christians face today. We want to try to survive. What makes people, Paul, what made Paul so successful was his attitude he didn't have to survive. I think this is a problem in our personal lives and with many Christians. The survival instinct to survive, to keep our heads above water. Be able to, I want to call the shots in my life. I don't want to have to take orders from other people. I know where I'm going. I know what I want to do. It causes us to become lukewarm in our spiritual life and compromise instead of being people of conviction. God says I ought to do this. I better do that. It keeps us from making the best decisions. It causes us to make excuses instead of doing what is right. It encourages us to excuse our lack of effectiveness by terms, well, well, at least I was faithful instead of being fruitful for the Lord. It hinders us from completely obeying the Lord. It robs us of the power and the blessing of God in our life that we want man's approval instead of God's approval. I want to give you a few biblical illustrations of people who felt like they had survived and what happened to them. Remember Abraham and Sarah as God was leading them? And they came to Egypt and there was famine in the land. Remember what Abraham said? He said, Sarah, I want you to tell King Abimelech that you're my, my sister instead of my wife. Because if he's yelling, you're my wife, then he'll kill me because you're such a beautiful woman. And so they compromised and said, okay, his wife and his sister rather. And what happened? Abimelech took Sarah in to be his wife. And God confronted him and brought a plague upon Egypt. And King Abimelech got all upset with, with Abraham and said, why did you tell this lie to us? Why didn't you tell us the truth in the first place? And he settled for something less than what God wanted. Remember Lot and Abraham when their, God had so blessed their flocks and sheep and different things, and, and they began to get in fights among themselves over the property where they were grazing and and Abraham said to Lot, Lot, it's not right that brothers should fight over something like this. And so you choose where you, where you would like to graze your sheep and different things. If you go this way, I'll go that way. And so what did Lot do? He looked towards Sodom, the green lands and the lush grass along the Jordan River. And he headed towards Sodom, even though he knew Sodom was not the place to go. And Abraham went in a different direction. Remember Jacob as he wrestled with the angel all night long? Jacob, as they wrestled, he had been conniving. He'd stole his brother's birthright. He'd done one thing after another. He did things to his father-in-law and got blessed. And, and finally, as he wrestled with the angel of the Lord, and the angel said, let me go. It's getting daybreak. And he said, no, I won't let you go until me bless me. And he said, what is your name? And, and Jacob had to say, 
Jacob, meaning conniver, deceiver, cheater. He, was comp- he had compromised all of his life, it seemed like, until he met the Lord. Remember Solomon, with all the different alliances he made with different nations and the seal of the deal, they would, he would, they would give him his daughter. And what happened with all the wives that he had? They caused, his, caused him to draw away from God and not to have a heart for God. Remember the ten spies as they went into the promised land? They went in to spy it out and check out the routes and what the cities were like. And remember the report they came back? There's giants in the land. We can't take that. There's walled cities. We're nothing but grasshoppers in their sights. And it cost them because they compromised. They wanted to survive. The rich young ruler who came to Jesus, remember what he said? What must I do that I might inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus said, just keep the commandments. And he said, all those I've kept my youth up. And then Jesus said, one thing you lack, just sell all that you have and give to the poor, then come and follow me. But he couldn't do that because he had to survive. The man who took the one talent, there were five, two, and one. The one who had the one talent, remember what he did? He went and buried it. He was afraid of the master, what might happen. Remember Peter in the courtyard after Jesus was arrested? And the young maiden girl came up to him and said, surely you're one of his disciples. And he remember what he said? I don't know the man. I don't know what you're talking about. He had to survive. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? When in the early days of the church, different Christians were selling property and giving it to the apostles so that they could distribute it so everybody's needs were met. And Ananias and Sapphira cons- conscribed a scheme that they would say, we, we sold the property for this, but we really did. We'll keep some for ourselves. And remember what happened? They lied to the Holy Spirit and they were struck dead right before the people. Then there are others that were taking place. And as I think about the lessons, the hard lessons they had to learn, what happened a lot because he headed towards Sodom? When judgment was going to come on Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels took him by the hand and said, get out of the city, the place is going to be destroyed. And his wife turned and looked back and turned to a pillar of salt. After they got to the countryside, his two daughters committed incest with him, got him drunk, so they became pregnant because of what had taken place. Remember the spies in the promised land, the judgment came upon them. God said, because you would not go into the promised land and listen to me, the next 40 years they were going to wander in the wilderness. And as a reminder, remember the whole adult generation was going to be wiped out. And if you consider that, 70 to 100 funerals every day until that adult generation was wiped out. Just a reminder because they disobeyed God. There was Solomon in his emptiness because he constantly was making bargains with different nations. The one talent man experienced the wrath of his master because he went and buried what he had. The rich young ruler who went away, who had everything at his fingertips, went away with emptiness of life because he did not follow Jesus. Then Peter... As he denied Jesus the last time, the cock crowed, and he looked and saw the face of Jesus as he lifted it up. Oh, how his heart must have broken as he saw his master. 
compare that to biblical accounts of people who didn't have to survive, people who might have been risk takers. I think of Abraham now that he had walked with God in those many years, and he had a son by the name of Isaac, and God said, I'm going to test you. Abraham, I want you to take your son up to Mount Moriah. I want you to kill a sacrifice him there on the altar for me to see if I'm still first place in your life. And can you imagine that journey with Isaac and Abraham as they walked up on top of Mount Moriah there? And do you know Mount Moriah is where Jesus died on Calvary? We call it Golgotha, the very same place. As he took his son up there, his son must have seen something in his father because he asked his dad, Father, we have the wood, we have the knife, we have the fire, but where's the lamb? He said, God is going to provide the lamb. And Isaac had to see something in his father because he allowed his father to bind him. Now, now Isaac's a young man. He could have got away when he realized that he was going to be the sacrifice, but he didn't. And he allowed his father to bind him. And as Abraham took that knife to slay his son, God said, don't, I now know that you love me. There's a ram. Take care of that. There was Joshua. Remember, it was Caleb and Joshua were the only ones who'd come back with a good report and the promise. And, and, and as they went into the promised land, they spied out. And Joshua, what he said, he said, choose you this day who you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And after the 40 years in wandering, there was Caleb who is now 80 years old, and with the spirit within him, he said, give me that mountain. I'm going to take what God wanted me to have. And there was Job on the ash heap. Remember, after he had lost his family, he had lost his wealth, he had lost his herds. He's sitting on the ash heap covered in boils, looking up to heaven. Remember what he said? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. There was Gideon as he marched against the Mennonites. Remember, God, there was 300,000 Hebrew children that went to the battle against 180,000 Mennonites. And God said, you have too many to go to battle. Can you imagine Gideon when he thought? There's 180,000. We only have 30,000. But okay, Lord, what do you want? He said, I want you to say anyone who's fearful to go home, they won't have to fight in this battle. So Gideon gave the report and 20,000 young men went home, leaving them 10,000 against 180,000. Those odds aren't so good, are they? And God said, you still have too many. Gideon said, what do you want me to do, Lord? Take them down to the brook and let them drink. And those who, who get down on knees and lap water, those are the ones you want you to keep. And those who stuck their face and started drinking, I don't want them. They're not prepared for battle. And what happened? From 1,000, they went down to 300 men. And God said, that's what I need to fight the battle. And Gideon said, okay, Lord, if that's what you want. Can you imagine the odds were now 600 to 1? <laughs> Those aren't very good odds. But you know what? Little is much when God is in it. Then we find Daniel in the lion's den. 
the different governors couldn't find anything to trap Daniel, get him into trouble. And said, so they went to King Darius and said, Darius, what we need to do, we want to lift you up. We want people just to pray to you for the next 30 days. And if that will happen, anybody who doesn't, let them throw in the lion's den. And so Daniel, as was his custom, three times a day, he would pray to the God that he knew was real. So where did Daniel end up? He ended up in the lion's den. And there in the lion's den, the, 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 those lions were looking around, looking at Daniel and, and realizing God's hand was on his life. And they said, where's the beef? And they left Daniel alone. The three Hebrew children, as that statue was left, lifted up by King Nebuchadnezzar, that 90-foot-tall image that they were to bow down when the music went, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down. And so they were thrown in the fiery furnace. Remember what they said, we just want you to know, O king, our God is able to save us, but if he doesn't, just put us in the non-smoking section, would you please? John the Baptist, as he was saying, he must increase, but I must decrease. And he lost his life. Remember the widow mite had two mites? What did she do? She only had two mites, but she gave it all. And what did Jesus say? He noticed it more. She gave more than anybody else did. Paul, everything in my life I count as loss. Only what I received from Christ I count as gain. When I think of non-survivors, they had a faith in God and not in themselves. Men who changed people from generation to generation stood alone and took criticism when the rest of the crowds couldn't understand why they had such conviction in their lives. Men who were poss possessing unusual power and constantly sensing the anointed of God in their lives. You know, I just wonder what would happen if God's people, you and I, would become non-survivors until we're filled with the power of God's spirit in our life so nothing else matters. If churches would leave the survival attitude and become so saturated with the passion of God that criticism would leave the church. Young people, if they would just see God in a way who God really is, they could turn from the secularism of the world and plunge into full-time ministry and, and begin to change our generation. Leaders who would become prophets instead of puppets in our world today. Only when we can say in Galatians 2.20, will God help us to change our world. I am crucified with Christ. Yet not I, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live but in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Only when we come to the end of ourselves like the prodigal son, remember? After he had eaten the pig pen and everything else, he's, I had it so much better. I'm going back to my father. until I'm not worthy. Please just make me a servant. Remember how the father welcomed him with open arms? 
the woman with the incurable disease of bleeding. He said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I can be healed. Jesus talked about the grain of wheat, how it had to be planted and die and left alone, and then it could bear fruit, but it had to die first. Only when we come like Jesus and be willing to eat, should I say, eat with sinners more than we do with board members, can Jesus make a difference in our lives. Only when we stand alone and do not demand our own rights, only when we come like the Good Samaritan, take time out of our schedules, be willing to hurt, help hurting people, only then can Jesus build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Thinking about, do I have to survive? I've, I've had some questions come to my mind in my own life. Do I feel like I need man's approval in order to be successful, to feel good about myself? You know, I know we all like to have a pat on the back once in a while. It's nice to have some good job, Jerry, appreciate what you've done. We, we all appreciate that because we're human. We're, we like that. And I remember a few years back as when I was pastoring, we sang an old hymn, My Wonderful Lord, and God spoke to me in that ver, ver, third verse where it says, All my talents I have I lay at thy feet. Thy approval shall be my reward. It was then and there I realized, God, I want your approval more than anything else in life. I was thinking not too long ago when we were back in Michigan and my sister passed away. And as we were sitting by her hospital bed, you know, nothing else really mattered at that moment but her relationship with Jesus Christ. That was the most important thing in that room. You know, we all have a problem with people. What will people think about me? In 1 Corinthians, I'd like to read this verse, a few verses of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. Notice what Paul says to us. 1 Corinthians 1, beginning with verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise in human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things the things that are not, to nullify the things are, so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become our wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, our holiness, and redemp redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let those who boast, boast in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence of superior wisdom, as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I am resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest in men's wisdom, but on God's power. The whole survival thing comes down to the issue of surrender in our lives. It deals with my rights. The life of Jesus so impressed me, the freedom that he had, his authority, integrity, and power. And you know, if you think about it, Jesus didn't feel like he had to survive either. You know, after his baptism with John, remember what he did? He went out in the wilderness, fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, almost at the end of human ability to survive. So what does the Messiah do who's going to come and save the world? He goes out and tries to starve himself to death. That's sort of a different way of doing it, isn't it? The scriptures on survival. And let me read some scriptures about Jesus, about what he was like. John 5:19 says, A son can do nothing, only what he sees the father doing. John 5:30. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. John 5, 41. I do not accept praise from men. John 6, 38. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. John 7, 16. My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. John 7, 28. I am not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. John 8, 28. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know who I am. And I do nothing for my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. John 12, 49. If I did not speak my own words, or I did not speak my own accord, but the Father who sent me commands me what to say and how to say it. John 14.10, the words I say to you are not my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me and doing the work. Did you hear that? Jesus said, not my words, not my authority, not my deeds, not my miracles, not my judgments. And people looked at Jesus, and what did they say? No one ever spoke like him before. No one spoke with so much authority as he did. People looked at Jesus, and they were just in awe. Nobody lived like he did either, did they? In the scripture, where do we find that we have to survive? Think about that. All we have to do is be faithful to the Lord. I'd like to turn one final scripture reading for you this morning. The book of Hebrews is known as the faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. This chapter starts out by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith Moses, and we know this as the Hall of Fame chapter. But then we come down to verse 32, and let me pick up with verse 32 as we come to a conclusion here. 
in Hebrews 11.32, it says, And what more shall I say? I do not have to tell you about Gideon and Barak, Samson and Jephthah, David and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered the kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions and quenched the fiery flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Then there were others. Listen, I want to use a word right here that might catch your attention. You'll probably never forget it. Others, did you hear this? Others were tortured. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the desert, in mountains, and caves, in holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had been promised. God had planned something better for, for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Let me ask you, do you feel like you have to survive in this life? Do you feel like you have to call the shots? Do you feel like you have to be the big shot? Or can you say, Jesus, I want you to be number one in my life. I want you to call the shots. I want to surrender everything to you. So come what may, I want to walk by faith and not by sight. Is that the story of your life? I hope so. Lori and the team are going to come at this time. Thank you so much, Jerry. We've had a theme this morning since worship team got here of surrender. I think God's doing something with that. We sure appreciate you. Let's stand together as we get ready to respond to the sermon and and close out our morning.
Do you trust Jesus? We just said that we did. If we truly trust Jesus, then we will obey him, won't we? No matter what. We won't compromise. We won't justify. We will simply obey and say yes. Doesn't matter if we survive. In fact, we need to die. We need to die to ourselves 
We need to die to our plans. We need to give him everything if we truly trust him. And the good news is he can be trusted. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful time that we have had in your presence today. We thank you so much for our church family. We thank you so much for this incredible message that you have given Jerry to share with us. And Lord, help us, help us throughout this week to trust you completely. It doesn't matter if we survive, Lord. What matters is that we trust you. And Father, we thank you that you are trustworthy. Go with us now. Lord, help us each and every day to keep our eyes fixed on you and to obey you. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be dismissed.